Welcome to my basement, everybody. It is time to talk about video games with our old friend, Sam Miskovich, who is not old. We've just known him for a long time. And this would be the, uh, the period where we would be at E3, my friend, but uh, no E3 this year. We would be very awkwardly passing each other seven times in a crowded hall and doing that sort of like, uh, uh, that, that recognition of the great world that we are in during the E3 Maelstrom. But instead, we're in this new reality where only one console manufacturer has a giant event on the week of June 12th. Yeah, crazy. And uh, Sam works for Ars Technica, which is a fantastic website. They cover all kinds of uh, interesting topics in the tech world and the video game world. And uh, you've been there a long time. How long have you been uh, writing Ooh, uh, for Ars Technica? Oh, I've been over there since 2012. It's, we're coming up on a decade, yeah. That's awesome. Is it, a, um, uh, is it a fun place to work for? Like, is it a pretty cool beat for you? You know, Ars Technica is an interesting place because it's a remote workforce. We, it's been remote since it was founded in the late 90s. And I came on board there in uh, the early teens. Uh, and I had already been freelancing from home when they said, well, here, we, they were using IRC at the time. That was how wow. every meeting happened. We didn't even wow. bother with phone calls. So it, it was maybe uh, January of this year that someone said, we should do a series about remote work. Let's talk about, let's leverage all the stuff we do from work from home. It might be interesting to people. We'll see how the remote, the remote workplace idea percolates. We think more places are just going to start doing that. And it went live in <laughs> mid-February while our science reporter was beginning to write more and more stories about this interesting thing happening across many more countries than we expected. And so it's one of those things now where I look around and I go, oh, now y'all are seeing what I've been doing for eight years, essentially, of, of that. <laughs> so in that sense, it's cool. But also, we, we are trusted at, to write about whatever matters to us. Kind of, kind of how... Um, God, is it Deadspin? That was the, the sports site that got ruined because everyone said, oh, you need to write only about sports. I mean, we yeah. write about tech, but also things that, are, that matter that are outside of it. So if something well, happens in Seattle where I live, I can just hop in a car or a bicycle and be like, well, I'm writing about a Seattle thing now or I'm, this thing's interesting. We have leeway to talk about this weird world of technology and life colliding in as nerdy or as personal as we, ways as we want, which is pretty cool. Well, and tech has infiltrated every aspect of our lives. I mean, look at what we're doing right now. You know, for all intents and purposes, we're right. doing like a, a cable satellite uh, news show. Absolutely. And as a podcast, and we're going to, it's all, it's crazy, especially for um, people that have been in media for a while, uh, like myself, that remember having to record everything on tape and everything was kind of transferred back to editing systems in real time. And it took forever to, you know, catalog this stuff and cut it and repurpose it and, and use it. But now everything is instantaneous. Does it drive you nuts if you ever turn on YouTube and see a major American show that's just operating with the lowest resolution MacBook camera, uh, default settings and whatever awful mic without any padding? Like I, I hear these things and I go into a closet, at least come on. It's, uh, dude, it's such I, a weird I've been, world. Uh, I've been uh, asked to comment on stories for CNN uh, over the last little while, which has been great. Um, and they were all marveling that I had a real microphone and, and I sounded all right. And I, I wish I had a better webcam. Of course, all the webcams are so expensive and I have so many other cameras and I've tried doing the cam link thing. I actually don't have a cam link. So I've got all of these uh, uh, game capture cards and none of them work um, easily. So there's a delay if you go through OBS and create. And so I've tried that and it's just like, it's such a pain. 
So I'm just recording to one camera while I'm doing the Zoom chat off of my webcam, which is a yeah. lower resolution. But yes, it bothers me to see these people that have limitless amounts of monetary resource making stuff that looks and sounds like crap. I, I mean, I would just say to anybody listening or watching, if you are young and you have a desire to really disrupt media, now is as good an example of any that you yeah. really could, the bar's a little lower than you might have expected. So I'm not saying put us out of a job necessarily, but put us out of a job. Go ahead, do it. Yeah, well, I, honestly, the technology is not the barrier. The only barrier is your passion and uh, your message and uh, your own innate professionalism, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, and, and we certainly live in interesting times in terms of uh, um, the digital footprint that you carry with you exists forever. Like we just saw Hartley Sawyer get fired off of The Flash for tweets that he wrote seven years ago, which were horrific, by the way, insane. Uh, and I support the decision, even though it's a little bit uh, big brother-ish, but the, the overall message is, you, you know, you reap what you sow and words have power and meaning. And uh, um, so yes, to all the young people out there that want careers and jobs in media or as artists in some regard, think of what you put out into the world. It's not just meaningless, drivel you know you're not just commenting on somebody else's racist rant you are yeah. allying yourself with that kind of uh, before we go into talking about so much gaming news i do want to jump on this point because i work with children in the seattle area at a nonprofit called the bureau of fearless ideas the bfi it's part of a thing yeah. called 826 which is a giant american association and what i try to say to kids is you need to understand that you actually are a lot more powerful than you think like yeah. the, a lot of forces in the world, whether it's your family, whether it's what you watch on television, whether it's friend groups, there are a lot of things that like to push everyone down, whatever age group, wherever you're coming from, even if you're incredibly affluent, those forces will appear. It's this strange social phenomenon, at least uh, in the West. And uh, when you remember that you actually are powerful, it, it, it's something that comes from within and that reminds you, yeah, your words do matter. Yes, you do have influence on people. When you say a little silly thing, you actually, you are, you are a great person. You're pretty awesome, all of you, every single one of you. And with yes. that, when you take that, you know, feel like a superhero, treat it like an incredible comic book origin story. That 100%. can be you and that yeah. matters whatever you put in the world, positive or negative, and go with that. And even if you do make those mistakes, you have ways to own yourself and understand yourself and see your whole picture. It's not all perfect and the it, social media does not help in terms of how it funnels and channels things in ways that are not organic conversation. But yeah. I just want to send my love to everybody hiding at home or quarantining or looking at the world of marginalized voices that either are finally getting raised up or maybe aren't getting as raised up as you would hope. Like, okay, we got a, what, two or three weeks of action and then nothing. I just want to remind you, those comic book stories continue. That's why comic books appear series after series, issue after issue. Keep right. on persisting and believe in yourself and believe that you have some power and it's all going to be dope. So that is, is how, that's what I have to say about that. That is beautiful. And you're right, man. It's all innate. And there is so much power in every individual. And um, I remember having conversations with employees about um, the, the mood that they brought in and, you know, trying to instill in them into, into work, right? And people would all look up to all, people look up to each other, you know, and they're influenced by what we carry into the world, whether it's in a physical space or a virtual space. And I remember pulling them aside and I said, everybody here thinks you're awesome. And if you come in and you're just totally negative and you just hate everything, that's what you're sending out to everyone and everybody's going to become incredibly cynical. And how do you create things if you're, uh, you know, not coming from a place of uh, optimism and hopefulness, yeah. you know? 
And that, that exists at every age. And you are so right. Every one of us has the ability to um, walk into a room or walk into a meeting or walk into a conversation and change things for the better. Mm-hmm always perpetually and we need to believe that in ourselves yeah and then folks like you and me uh use whatever time the fact that anyone is tuning into the show means that you and i have influence and just a reminder i believe vic victor's on the same page as me as far as uh, the word ally can go many directions but when it comes to saying if you feel like truth is not being spoken to power talk to us we're doing our best but we're also trying to amplify amplify whatever voices are out there that's a very vague statement i like to go for more timeless than timely sometimes but yeah i got a lot of love to send to the world out there i live in seattle and there are people marching in the streets every day because what's been happening in the world is something where the streets are speaking in ways that you and i probably could not those forces and those masses and i just want to say that i stand in unity with all of that stuff and with specifically oppression against the marginalized populations at least in the united states states if not the entire world. So sending my love and sending a big fist. Most of the world does, and I do as well. And uh, yeah, it's been incredibly powerful. Um, And we're going to talk about that a little bit more because I think it's fascinating that you're in Seattle through, it's a hot spot for a lot of this and a lot of incredible video has been emerging there. And I know you've been right in the center of some of this, Uh, but I, I want to talk to you specifically about the last of us part two. Um, Of course, we're not going to spoil anything. Uh, We're under embargo and, and uh, we wouldn't want to anyways, like what kind of a dick would want to spoil this experience for anybody, you know, honestly. And if you're an, an asshole out there that's watching or listening to this, and you were spoiling stuff that you picked up from the leak, shame on you, you know? Like, honestly, think about other people's enjoyment. And also, don't go search that crap out, because <laughs> the game is, from my standpoint, I just reviewed it, I gave it a 10 out of 10. First of all, what did you think of the game? You know, I did not go quite to 10 out of 10. I think, yeah. and I think uh, Ars Technica has its own review. Kyle Orland had the, had the lead position on that. And yep. his takeaway was in some ways similar to mine. Uh, and I think that we agree and that I liked it more than he did as a result. Uh, the Last of Us Part Two uh, picks up where the, the previous game left off. It's actually funny that we talked about how the first game ended and someone said, that's a spoiler. And our response is, if you look at the fact that Ellie is a lead character in this game, you should understand that we're going to explain how we got there. Like, yeah. uh, you, can't, you can't talk about Return of the Jedi without talking about uh, Darth Vader being a specific family member of a certain yeah. classic family. <laughs> like, it's... it's- <laughs> but that yeah. I think is a safe, but it, it's that kind of game where you're starting out with Ellie and uh, she finds herself in Seattle. Like that has been announced. Uh, that's a lot of the gameplay is Ellie going to Seattle to continue uh, her search for something specific. Uh, yeah. Even though during like the, the preview period, they were like, don't talk about anything more than that. Um, and, and mechanically, it does follow a lot of the first game and in some ways sticks really rigidly. You don't have mm-hmm. a lot more weapons. You don't have, you have a lot of similar upgrade trees, uh, but there are two things that to me really stand out as differences. Number one, uh, in battling, I really liked how every single stealth sneak battle scene, whether it was humans, uh, zombies, or a mix, the world feels a lot more spread out. Uh, one yeah. example I recall is there's one the, one of the first battles where there's swimming involved. You get to use swimming as this way to absolutely spread out how you move from encounter to encounter, from person to person, from sneak attack to kill. It's this really striking way to give you, uh, there's a little bit of verticality to it, but there's just all these different over, under, and through paths that yeah. you can take. And I felt like The Last of Us 1 had a lot of just like barrel ahead fights. It really felt like the concept that they had revealed at 
those E3 events years ago, they were like, well, ah, we're, we're uncharted people. So it's going to be kind of straight ahead, shoot all the bad guys, which The Last of Us was never quite meant to do. And I think this one at its best has these really interesting battles that spread you out. So that's my number one thought, a thing I like that's improved. And number two, I really think it's interesting how they lean into this being a television series. I think Mm -hmm. The Last of Us Part Two is one of the best zombie TV series ever, period. Right. Uh, And the reason I say that is you need to set your expectations, in my opinion. If you're going to jump into The Last of Us Part Two, you need to expect not only the tense sequences where you're not going to get into combat, but something could happen at any moment, which means you're not battling, you're not shooting, you've got your gun holstered, you're looking for items, and you're absorbing the world and story. But there's also... Um, things that play with the timeline and holster your weapons entirely and have you explore stories from many perspectives. And that to me is uh, a really striking difference. uh, Naughty Dog has always liked leaving you in cutscene world and leaving you absorbing narrative, but they've never gone to this level and and done that in a way that feels like, okay, we're almost in the world of Lost in terms of the number of characters and the kind of back and forth story. And goodness, Victor, I don't know about you, but the the motion capture, the facial animation, and Same. the hand animation. Yeah. That's the stuff that blew me away. So you look at stuff now that's running in real time on a PlayStation 4, and you expect, okay, these are going to be some solid faces. You're going to get glossy eyes. We've seen this before, but I could not believe all of the detail on the hands, on the zooms, yes. on the veins, on the twitching. Sometimes when you're upgrading a weapon, you look and you'll see one of the hands just twitching. This sort of, uh, I, 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 was, I was taken aback when I saw that. But then there's story sequences. I, I think trailers have made clear that Ellie has some romantic stuff with another woman. Uh, yeah. And I talked about this in the review. I, I put in a little uh, piece on this where hands are often used in filmmaking and television to tell stories of two women in love. It's this incredible visual metaphor that says a lot with a little. Uh, and you can go further. You can dig real deeply in the, in the literary uh, criticism hole of why that matters in terms of stories of women. Uh, and it's this really interesting stuff when you see how hands are used to express love, to express fear, or to express both when things are nonverbal. I, I, I'm blown away by those moments appearing in between the interactive scenes. But that means you're not just bam, bam, bam. You're not uncharted. You're not always scaling a mountain and having crazy crap happen all the time. The narrative stuff is about some of that, but it's also about looking inward and looking inward to a lot of people. Well, and I said in my review that I was in awe from beginning to end. And a lot of it was the visual mastery of the game and uh, the, the incredibly, you know, well-crafted storytelling. Um, but the gameplay was super fun. Um, and I, I think it is because it's super fun and super uh, um open, you know, much more open. I, I honestly was kind of dreaming at one point, imagine if uh, Naughty Dog got the, the the rights to make a Metal Gear game or something like that, you know, like they're just so talented over there, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but I think what gets you through the unbelievable violence is the the that awe that you feel and that sort of narrative mastery, that, that real intelligence and, and uh, um, that, that sense of, um, uh, agency that the, the the company has to make something meaningful, not just a, uh, you, you know, not just a grind film, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's not just a zombie thing, this, this game, you know, right. and the first game was so wonderful because it was shockingly brutal, but it was also incredibly intimate 
and it was a real redemption story you know of you know ellie saved they saved each other and it was so beautiful and so poignant and it leaned on that narrative more than the gameplay and the gameplay i've heard from a lot of people it got repetitive for them and they didn't have the the connection to the story that they they needed i think that maybe some of us who've been reviewing games for a long time were just like really taken aback yeah. by that first game but this second one you're right at times it does feel you definitely feel the machine of Naughty Dog thinking, and I said this too in the review, is that they're really trying to expand that universe and see what, you know, where the tendrils of The Last of Us can go. Mm -hmm. I sense. mean, I will say one thing I wish, I kind of wish that they were braver as far as moving away from the requirements of video gaming. And the thing that drove me nuts was that I was always pressing against the edges of every know, interior space and hoping to find items and pickups <laughs> and things. Because especially if you're on a harder difficulty, you need those crafting things. You need to be prepared and be ready to maybe burn through a very small amount of, amount of ammo or craftable things. Have so you yeah, you're doing that in real life now? Have I mean, you started I, walking into rooms and started looking around at all your drawers and stuff? I've been playing video games long enough to look for secret dark passageways at the edge of every room like a fan of fantasy games. So don't even get me started on that OCD-ness. But it is one of those things where um, you don't get to necessarily marvel at the interiors if your attention is placed in a right. game-like way because there is right. so much interesting storytelling with each discrete interior scene. They don't do a lot. They're very clever about what they reuse. When you go from room to room and building to building, you might expect the same beds or the same wall pieces or the same pictures of pieces of art or what have you. And Naughty Dog has a lot of assets that really yeah. tell a bunch of different stories of this is what this... Uh, apartment was like this is what this business was like i mean i'm from seattle and there's just a part in our international district that they pulled in it's not an exact one for one of that zone but it's this really interesting set of five businesses that are all linked together that are all tightly uh they're 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 compact and yeah. then they even have sort of an upstairs club that connects a few of the businesses and it's this interesting layout of architecture that's not even a battle scene it's just this sort of thing that you're going to to it's an accordion squeeze of momentum and it's this wonderful thing where you go holy cow this stuff just goes blink and you'll miss it if you yeah. if you're sitting there getting trying to go for items as opposed to marveling at oh wow they really wanted to recreate a city in an interesting way like it, way more than the first last of us way more than the other naughty dog games in terms of you go through a city and go okay there's there's a tree blocking my path that's an invisible wall okay that's annoying but for the parts i do get to do wow that's a lot were, were you impressed by, uh, you know, the attention to detail and, and recreating Seattle? You, you can walk out your door and, and see it in reality. How close did they get to capturing the vibe? They have recreated a bunch of things. Um, some of the geography is not quite one for one. Uh, there's the, um, if you've ever been to PAX West in Seattle, there yeah. is a uh, GameWorks very nearby. And that GameWorks is in this, they've, re they've rebuilt it to change a few things, but you can tell that's what they're going for in terms of you walk in and it's a bar before you get to the arcade and you go to another thing and there's a giant plane hanging from the ceiling, even though in Seattle, it's a giant car hanging from the ceiling, mm -hmm. things like that. There's a, um, one of the trailers showed a thing called the Saravina Hotel. That's yeah. actually the Sorrento Hotel. I got a friend who works there. And oh, wow. they they must have stayed at that hotel for PAX West or something. Naughty Dog must have had a reason to give a crap because it's a really cool historic building with a really uh, striking circular lobby and then set of rooms. Uh, when you get to, there's a, there's there, I don't want to list off all of the landmarks, but there's, you, you don't get to go, I don't, uh, 
Sorry, I, I was about to say something. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler free. Yeah. But my yes. point is, for someone who's lived here, there are these things that appear that are not quite geographically perfect, but they are also placed in a way that's organic and that serves the gameplay and that looks real. It's really cool. Also, they show our monorail uh, dangling off of the concrete at one point. I'm like, that's kind of how that works in modern day Seattle. Our monorail kind of sucks. So <laughs> that's accurate. <laughs> uh, yeah, visions of the future. So overall, did you, you appreciated the game, but you didn't love it? The thing that really, that Kyle and I agreed on, uh, and I was willing to make more room for this, was the momentum downturn. There's a mm. point in the story where they really want to make sure a lot of perspectives are told. And yeah. if you treat it like a video game and you really invest in certain characters, that can feel very jarring. If you treat right. it like a TV series where there's just so many different perspectives and you get to sort of like take a breath and take them all in, I think that's better. And so that's, I could see people simply deciding based on their preferences for storytelling what they feel about that. But right. I did, I feel like a video game that's tougher to do because you invest in being a protagonist. You invest in being that character and you're sort of, the relationships you build while you're wandering around and in those tension building scenes where you're picking up items and you're having chain back and forth banter with someone else, it, you know, people are disposable in these games and some of them may live and some of them may not, but you have this sort of consistent thread. And the last of us part two is very bold in saying, yeah, we're going to kind of disrupt that and change that. And I wasn't entirely a fan of how that momentum change happened and how that played out across the plot. And, and that's about as spoiler free as a way as I could put it. I don't know how you feel about that. Um, I feel that that can be a, um, when things like that occur in games that we get to play early and we can't really talk about all of that stuff and we're racing to get through them. Um, I, I kind of take that into my consideration when I'm talking, when I'm reviewing the game, when I'm actually playing the game. I'm, I, and I say this a lot in my reviews is this is not a healthy way to play these games. You know, no one should play eight hours at a time and just try to get all of the content into their head. And I think that if people especially look at The Last of Us Part Two as something to um, not gorge on, but, you know, pl play for a bit, put it away. I also, I mean, it's so goddamn bleak as well. It's, I just, I, I, I didn't feel like I was in a healthy space the whole time I was playing it. You know, I, I would go from that to looking at these horrific videos on the news and it's just like, holy, this is just too much. And I honestly felt for the, the developers, right? They've, they've launched this in, uh, I mean, it's not an escape, you know, it's not a healthy escape. And I'm seeing a lot of reviews kind of echo that as well. Like Jeff Kanata, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's, it is, it's probably the most brutal game that I've enjoyed playing. Yeah. And it, yeah. I didn't enjoy all of it. Like there were right. lots of times where I was like, God, what am I doing to myself? This is not good. You know? Yeah. But I then mean, it, it, the first game, the first game sets you up for that, to be fair. Yes. Like you, you yes. don't go into the last of us part two and expect, you know, sunset overdrive and, and no. energy drinks to appear. No, uh, I sure missed my superheroes though. And uh, I guess that's a segue right there. We're going <laughs> to talk about uh, uh, the return of a beloved superhero. Uh, the PlayStation 5 reveal was yesterday, and I'm sure, like you, uh, you everybody was crowded around phones and television sets watching this stuff and tweeting away. Uh, what did you think? How did how do you feel Sony uh, handled it themselves yesterday? Wow. I, I, having to sum it all up in a broad statement is is very intense because that was a big reveal. Yeah. Um, and, and what really I kept, thinking back to that xbox third party kind of reveal and you looked at that and you're like 
that, uh, this looks like stuff, some of it absolutely is impressive, but all of it looked like, I, it could, could it just be on Xbox One X? Like, are we, what's, what about this is incredibly next gen? And what about this is Microsoft carrying some sort of torch and saying Xbox Series X or Game Pass or whatever is the way to go? To be like honest, that, so Sam, like everything I've seen from both Xbox and Sony right now feels like it could be run on current gen machines. And, and I, yesterday's stuff, to me, to some extent, I disagree. Uh, yeah. I think Gran Turismo 7 looks amazing. Demon Souls looks amazing. Horizon Zero Dawn 2. The problem, of course, is that Sony went with that 1080p 30 frames a second feed, which right. is effectively less because of YouTube garbling it up with right. whatever. Like, I went back because uh, they re-uploaded Horizon uh, Forbidden West. I got to get that title right. Uh, yeah. Horizons, Horizon 2 Forbidden West. Uh, I went back and watched that. Even when they had the time to like finally encode and upload that, you lose so much because that yeah. game is so colorful and so yes. fast. And, and YouTube is not interested in rendering that accurately because they want to get, you know, someone angrily complaining about women on the internet to render more effectively on YouTube. Well, well I, I'll tell you, I, I agree. When we see this running on these new machines at 60 frames per second and in 4K, that's going to be really stunning. But like we have just reviewed The Last of Us Part Two that game looks freaking impossible. It looks yeah. so goddamn beautiful. That game that runs at 30 frames a second, almost locked, only a little bit. I mean, that, that is an, it is a technical masterpiece. It really is. It, it really is. And so, I, and, and trust me, I loved what I saw from Sony, but I haven't really seen anything that visual, just from a visual kind of footprint and the, uh, um, the tech that's been employed to kind of showcase the art hasn't, made me feel like oh okay we we are playing something I, I my eyeballs have never seen anything like before yeah, yeah i the the playstation 5 there are things that are even listed as ps4 ps5 and pc there was quite a bit of that but yeah. what i think yesterday's event really hit for me that feeling i had was oh this is playstation that was the three words i had of going they have a vision of here's the kind of content we want. Yes. We're going to have yes. giant AAA. We're going to have family friendly. We're going to have cutesy. We're going to have a couple of really like a, a really brave looking indie stuff. I yes. mean, they, they Little decided. Little Devil Inside looked incredible. I mean, well, all, I mean, Goodbye Volcano High is this like yeah. flagrantly uh, open sexuality, a, a teen adventure kind of insanity in terms of of the content and then yet the how it looks it's got this weird cell shaded almost simple looking thing but it's so it, you look at it and at first you're like oh this is some sort of 2d narrative blah 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 but the tech on it is really impressive like there's cool. some really cool things they're doing to turn it makes dragon ball fighter z kind of look pedestrian in terms of right. how it translates 3d assets and makes them look hand-drawn like very cool so when I, I didn't quite know what I was looking at with that game, to be well, honest. I mean, there was, a, there was a lot. There was a lot there of was, what the heck yeah. is going on. Like that Capcom game with the um, astronaut and the child yeah, breaking through that? the atmosphere into space. What's that called again? I, I really like that. That's a good question. Um, it was some sort of trademark that had bubbled up earlier in the day. Parabolum or something? I can't, I can't remember it right now. I, I talked about it yesterday, but I can't remember that because it's a brand new title. But yeah, that was cool. It was, but I mean, there was, it was sort of, it looked like their vision was um i'm gonna find the name pragmata that's the name pragmata, of right, sorry yeah. about that but yeah. what i liked all in all was it looked like a bunch of actual games and it looked mm. like them saying this hey if you're buying playstation you want to know that that however many hundreds of dollars it's going to cost 
is going to keep you locked into a bunch of interesting and potentially exclusive content. And um, colorful. And you're, you're bang on with the, um, the, the accessibility. And honestly, um, you know, we, we're talking about dark stuff. The Last of Us 2 is dark and a lot of the stuff that's happening in the world is heavy. And it, it's the right moment to lean into um, accessible escapism. You know, that is uh, something that families can play together and stuff. So that was encouraging for me and something that absolutely, and I said this with my uh, my Xbox recap, that they really missed the boat on that. Like it, it, There was a lot of brown and black and gray and blood across all of the uh, the Xbox right. games. I'm, I'm psyched for those. And I think what one of the mistakes that Xbox did is that they carved up how they were gonna, re- I, I don't really care so much that they didn't show off tons of gameplay, even though they promised that they were gonna show nothing but gameplay. That bothered me a bit, but what bothered me more was that they're carving it up and they're spreading it out. And I don't think that that, sh- they should have come out with their first really big reveal like PlayStation did with a really, really strong collection of first and third party stuff you know? right I, well we wonder whether the july i think it's dated for july is their next yeah. one i mean that's their shot but the thing is playstation is in a position of power with its known entities meaning yes. demon souls we know what that is gran turismo we know about that we could we're willing to give the benefit of the doubt for Sackboy, even though that looks pretty like flimsy family friendly you know sure. we, we're familiar and we have hope for that ratchet and clank that's a known entity miles morales that's not only a known entity but a nice twist that's exciting potentially uh yeah. like there's these these sort of known things they can leverage now you look back at the last generation of microsoft exclusives what are we going to get state of decay 2.5 uh yeah. super super lucky's tale um you know, we know about Halo and Gears of War and Forza. There's things like that. But what PlayStation did, I didn't even say Horizon. I didn't even say uh, Uncharted. Like, there's all these God of War. There's, there's just these things that the PlayStation 4 generation was able to go, okay, we're back. We've got a bunch of indies and third parties who want to publish stuff for us. Oh, and our exclusives are Megaton. And yeah. so when you look at the, what, what that said to me, the, the presentation to me was sort of saying, look, we have these IPs you know. And between each of those, we're going to be brave. And we're going to show you some weird and cute stuff. Like that's, there's one game. Oh my goodness. What's the name of it? Like Kedda or Kella? Kenna. Kenna. Bridge of Spirits. Yeah. I mean, that that looks, that looks incredible. That that almost had a beyond good and evil sort of inkling to me with a Pikmin mixed in. There was just something about that that said, oh, right. When you're already kicking that much butt with the known entities, then you can be like, by the way, we know you're going to need new IP to give a crap about. So here's a whole bunch of other stuff from our partners and that we are going to be a great accommodating home for all of that. And that to me is, I, I don't know what Microsoft does. I feel like they're going to be more likely to say, hey, Ubisoft, please share your exclusive blah, blah, blah with us. Or, but even then, it's probably just going to be like an exclusive DLC pack because they're not going to leave Sony. Uh, yeah. or same with Call of Duty or, or any yeah. of these other sort of known things. You know, Microsoft has been building all of its Microsoft Studio stuff, Xbox Studio stuff for years. They've been acquiring studios and they've been silently building. And maybe their thing next month is going to be them revealing all of that. Great. But Sony is in a position of strength. And that presentation yesterday really was as good as they could have done with that. How were they, each of them, Sony and Microsoft, how were they going to... Um make this year count, you know, like a lot of developers have, uh, you know, obviously they've all had to work from home and they've had to kind of roll with the punches here. Um, we know that Spider-Man Miles Morales is going to come out and it was announced today that it is 
a standalone game, but I know that it's likely also going to be playable on PlayStation 4, and it's probably going to be DLC. Um, I don't mind. I think that's phenomenal. I'm, I'm that, that's the thing that I'm most excited about personally. I'm so psyched that it's coming. Yeah. But um, I got some great comments on my video recap yesterday that, you know, what are we playing this year and why am I spending launch prices on these consoles for to play this holiday season? And what a tough holiday season for all of us this year, you know? I mean, I think right now Sony's mission is not to say you're going to buy a PlayStation 5 right now. I think Sony's mission right now is to make people start to say, okay, whenever I buy an exclusive console, my mind wants to go there. Mindshare is huge. Remember, the PlayStation 2 won that console generation in part because of Mindshare. Mindshare is one big reason people gave up on Dreamcast and said, I'm going to PlayStation 2. That doesn't mean that's exactly the thing that's going to win it out, but that's all you can battle with right now in terms of hype and in terms of presenting videos that are not uh, checked. You and I are not vouching. We have not gone and been uh, shown a bunch. You and I would have been hands-on with PlayStation 5 by now in any traditional year. So now they're essentially going, okay, well, that's going to wait, so we're just going to get you on the hype cycle. Uh, And maybe that means you're not going to buy it this year. Or, you know, they're not announcing price or release date yet. Yesterday could have been that time. They don't need to because they can trickle that out. But we saw uh, they're definitely worried about price because they're releasing a discless system. You don't do that if you don't, if you're not looking to save money. Um, Is it that or is it a, is it a move to owning more of the sale price of the games? You know, like, is it, I think there's, there's a lot of, reasons they could do it number one they need to continue selling a disc model if they want retailers to do anything because they still even though we're all downloading codes and downloading passes and what have you uh all of these big box stores still matter for the chain for advertising you know they're they're doing ads they're doing emails they're doing work on microsoft and sony's behalf so that matters but the 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 release of a discless system is going to tick those people off and, you know, the future may be that, that, you know, you never go into a department store and get the system or its games ever again. But, you know, it's a brave move by Sony. And I do honestly think that is them saying that trade-off they're willing to take for the 30 to $50 saving on the box. Because that system may be 500 600 We don't know. We, we know yeah. it's the bill of materials is reportedly $450. That was the number that came out a while back. And what do you do with that? What's the profit margin? Um, but to go back, your question was about what are Sony and Microsoft kind of trying to do for this year? We've seen Microsoft kind of get ahead of that conversation because Phil's been going out there and saying, we just want you in the Xbox family. And maybe yeah. you're not buying an Xbox console at all. Maybe you're on Windows. Maybe you're on xCloud. Maybe you love hooking up a gamepad to your uh, phone because your kid plays Fortnite and does that already. Um, like, I think they understand how much money they can make selling recurring subscriptions. Yes. That's working. Because when you think about uh, what money they're making there that they used to lose to rentals, that they used to lose to GameStop, like there's a, the, the financial argument for Xbox Game Pass as making way more money than the average consumer might think, uh, th- th- there's a reason for them to be bullish on that and for them to be like cross-generational. Whatever you're on, we got you. And yeah. PlayStation has been very loud saying, we're not, doing, we're not gonna do that to developers. We're gonna make sure every, you know, each generation is discreet. And that leads to confusion because consumers kinda like knowing that they're 
purchases go to every new thing. I got a text yesterday from a buddy and he's like, can I use my PlayStation 4 games and my controllers and stuff on the PlayStation 5? We don't know any of that stuff yet. And Microsoft well, has we know been- PS4 does. Microsoft, but Microsoft's been a genius in yeah. pushing that, in tramping a lot of that, because yeah. that is that is a selling point. I, goodness, ha, ha, I don't know about you when you were a child, but did you ever have someone say to you, "But you already own a Nintendo"? Yeah, like you know yes. that that conversation continues to matter for hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of families. So uh, how that really shakes out remains to be seen, because we don't know how many consoles are going to launch. Maybe they only put out you know, a hundred thousand boxes this year and they all go sell out immediately and go on eBay anyway. Maybe it doesn't matter what the price is. You know, there's a, yeah. that's a lot of stuff we can't really read into, which is why they love the hype cycle, which is why they love these pre-presented videos that get you to pick your side and go on a forum and start a flame war about why your console's better than my console. We know we're going to be playing Spider-Man this year. Do you think we're going to be playing Halo Infinite this year? Uh, Nobody who, no, none of my Halo sources in the Seattle area are being very forthcoming. Yeah. Uh, you know, nobody's sitting there saying it's definitely or it's not. They're just, they've just shut up. I think they're all working. Microsoft continues saying that uh, Halo Infinite is on track for this year. And I think that they, I expect them to have a giant like Halo, it's coming. It's going to look like this. It's going to work exactly this way on whatever system you love. I, I think they want that to, to, get knocked out of the park and they've been doing some restructuring to get that game moving and grooving. And I've been actually watching, there's a documentary about the um, reboot of killer instinct. That's really fascinating because that was a game that had switched whole creative teams midstream and it became better as a result. And I want Microsoft to do that with Halo. Yeah. Yeah. Because there has been turnover and that happens and that doesn't mean it's doomed. Um, I want it to be good. I want it. I I like Halo. I like that shooty shoot. I like that mix of colorful co-op, uh, bombast, whether we're PVE or PVP. Um, so oh, it's a cl- it's a classic franchise. Yeah, and uh, honestly, I want Microsoft to kick ass. I want them to be, uh, uh, you know, come out as strong as uh, what PlayStation just showed. And I, yeah. I I share your you know your optimism for what PlayStation showed yeah. off yesterday. It was pretty phenomenal. It was it was exciting, and uh, it may not have been as exciting as like being crowded inside of an arena at E3 and they're on stage and all that, but it was a very, very strong presentation. But the thing, by the time Xbox's presentation in July rolls around, I think we're going to have a better idea of what is actually coming out this year. And that's yeah. a big question mark because, I mean, even Grand Theft Auto V isn't coming to PlayStation 5 until 2021. I know. There were a like, lot of so 2021 that, dates on, on that. Or just video. not listed at all and that can yes. and those always shift because you know publishers never change their release date. <laughs> so like we don't know what's going to actually launch with the box like maybe they don't need to have a bunch of games come out in 2020 or maybe microsoft says well we may not be as impressive but we have the games in 2020 and they work on any xbox so xbox you know which camp do you join and where do you assign your dollars especially i if think the systems uh, are I think Sony is going to go crazy on PlayStation Now this year. I think that they're going to go right at at uh, Xbox Game Pass, and they may include like a year of PlayStation Now on the digital only uh, uh, PlayStation Five, which would be pretty compelling. But that's still a streaming service as opposed to Xbox Game Pass, which lets you download and play. Which wow, it, it's. It's just, we're still not there for for me to prefer streaming. As much as Stadia works well, as much as PlayStation Now works well, the Xbox Game Pass model is brilliant. And Sony has never been as good at services. I'm not going to say Microsoft is amazing at services, but man, Xbox Live, 
uh, it doesn't have the baggage. PSN had a leak, you know, we're still thinking about that. Um, or at least I am, ours Technica, we think about those sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna turn the, your attention to the design because I have never seen this many memes about a console's design this quickly. <laughs> I grew up, I, I remember the Ouya, and this is yeah. beating the crap out of like people making fun of Ouya. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about the PlayStation 5's design? I like it. I think it's cool. I, I, uh, I think it, it was conceived almost like it was going to be on the set of a sci-fi movie is what I said. It looks like something out of oblivion, you know, and, and, and it looks dramatic. And my thinking is, you know, we are coming to the end of visible hardware. Like it's just going to be, you know, glasses we put on or what, like it's just going to disappear into our world. We're not going to be having these monuments of power to kind of kneel before soon. And if we may as well have some fun with, you know, what could potentially be some, one of the last generations of people even thinking they need to make a console, you know? <laughs> um, and so I, that's what it looks like to me is that Sony and its designers said, let's come up with a statement. Okay. There, there's been some interesting uh, console designs over the years, and sometimes they come out and they're ridiculed, like people hated the GameCube. But God, that was an awesome little machine. You know, mm -hmm. in retrospect, it's an incredible little console. You know, yeah. and there are, there are lots of stories like that. And I think that, you know, maybe the PlayStation Five doesn't doesn't eventually earn the love and the admiration of uh, something as as endearing as the GameCube. But I I I I dig the boldness of it. I think bold makes sense, especially for a launch model, because no matter yeah. what, it's going to sell out. And what I really like about that PlayStation 5 design, it is super ready for alternate versions and exclusive models and different paint jobs yes. so in terms of prolonging that model's lifespan. I look at that, I'm like, man, they can do a black and red. Uh, there's someone mocked up the, the Spider-Man exclusive, uh, limited edition with like Whoa. sort of black with red tones. Yes, um, that's what I want. You have three colors to play with. I mean, think about any fighting game you loved. It's usually three palettes, primary, secondary, and accent which PlayStation 5 is built for. And, yeah. you know, I look at the Xbox Series X and that was made by engineers to yeah. just be powerful and dissipate heat. And this thing looks like it was made by the SpaceX or Tesla crew to, <laughs> yeah. to be insane. And you could, we could make fun of that Cybertruck, but I mean, this, it, I think it, I, I looked at it and I'm like, this makes me think of, like, of Annie Lennox or David Bowie or Prince just wearing like a white suit with like right. crazy hair. And I'm like, that's dope. And if that's, but so many people at Ars Technica, especially members of my staff, they all said, I want a black box. I want something that blends into my entertainment center. Right, I just right. want a black slab. Like that yeah. audience is out there and I don't understand it. Uh, but also, I think that's easy for people to say who aren't buying it. I, I don't right. know that many of my colleagues are necessarily rushing to fit this in their entertainment center. The, the size, I think, is more important than yeah, the- Yeah, it uh, looks massive. It looks massive, and it was a while. It, after the reveal, everyone started saying, can I do it horizontal? Can I do it horizontal? And then finally, an image started trickling out of the horizontal version, and I think people were going, well, okay, I'm going to hate it for a different reason, because people at least want to be able to put it or stack it uh, in, in a certain- and, you can't stack any. It, no. That looks like the Super Nintendo where they designed it a specific way so that people couldn't put their drinks on top. Like, yes. I don't know that you could put anything on top of this. I have my PlayStation 4 Pro Spider-Man model right there. And it, I didn't need it because I already had a PlayStation 4 Pro. Yep. But the minute that was announced, I, I went, I'm getting that. And it, it, like, it is 
honestly, I celebrate that machine. Yeah. It's like right next to my TV. I love it. I mean, I think that there's something to be said for having, a, you know, they're toys, right? They're access to um, just joyous entertainment. And why not, why not have fun with it, you know? Well, also, if you're paying that much money for it, like... If I wanted to, if I want to hide something, I'm not going to spend $600 or whatever the price yes, is on it. Yes. So there's that argument to me made. Like, although I do, I kind of hope that they make it so users can customize the color. That would be cool. Yeah. I doubt they're going to do it. They seem really yeah. stuck on white, black, and blue. But man, I, I do hope, I, I hope that we could just paint it ourselves. Do you think, look at Joy-Cons and people custom painting their own. I hope that this is uh, amenable to that sort of thing. So oh, I'm, I think, I'm sure it's going to be. I think you and I agree. We like bold. But, and and yeah. I also think that that is actually going to be the launch. The launch buyers are going to lean into that as opposed to necessarily wanting a black monolith. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, Sony's not dumb. They're going to make a lot of cool. I'm, I'm sure we're going to get a Miles Morales PlayStation 5 this year, which is just going to be killer. Um, okay, so PlayStation clearly has taken the lead, I think, um, in terms of messaging and excitement. Kind of expected, though. What does Xbox have to do now? They, uh, well, you know, Halo's a big thing. Uh, and it's also, I think that those Xbox Game Studios acquisitions, I think that's got to be, they're going to come out and they're going to say, we heard you. The past era, the Connect era, it is so dead. And this is how long it's taken us to rebuild from that point, and we've listened to you. We care about you. Sony just operates in this sort of ivory tower, and they don't listen to you. They just make amazing things, but they're not. They're not a. They're not like you and me, buddy. I mean, they're. I think they're. I think they're going to lean into their personalities. They're very good in the United States of having. I mean, God, Phil Spencer's amazing. He knows yeah, he how to get on a microphone and how to speak a corporate line and make gamers feel hurt. Like that's insane. That is in in, in a world of internet hate. That it's 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 remarkable. Everybody like digs him. Yeah, and yeah. so I think that's what's going to happen. Is they want to say we hear you, we've been listening to you, and here are a variety of games so you can put this thing in your home, subscribe to Game Pass, and everyone's going to have a good time. So that's what that's the move they've got to make. And I think they've been developing stuff. I mean, maybe they reveal whatever. Uh, God, what's that one studio that hasn't revealed their stuff yet? Uh, is it the Initiative? What's the name of that one? Oh. Um... But, you know, there's that one extra studio that, that is full of veterans and they've been building something. And the rumor is a new Perfect Dark reboot. As oh, wow. in, uh, uh, that's been talked about, but there's nothing that's actually substantially said that. And I think the reason it may be building is less because it's true and more because people think it's a good idea. Because right. it would give them a lot of room to take that classic thing that's loved and that sort of hint of GoldenEye without being GoldenEye. And then modern crazy stealth systems. I think it'd be dope if that was what it was. But my guess is if they knock it out of the park, it'll be because they leveraged that mix of known and unknown with their statement of we've got these studios and we're ready. What do you think um, the Series X should be priced at? Huh. It, it, I don't know if they're going to do the Lockhart. Lockhart being sort of Xbox Series S, the cheaper, downloaded, fewer teraflops, like 1080p version of Series X. Yeah. Uh, if that was coming out, I think that would give them more leverage. And I think that could be the case, or there could be a discless one. I don't know, but I don't know what the right price is um, because I don't know the build of materials. I feel like 500 is the number. Yeah. I think 500 plus Xbox Game Pass. Like if you can find a way to take a giant price, add in Game Pass for three months and just tell people you're going to immediately be playing the best of the past, present, and future because they're real big on that back compat. Um, yeah. Then... 
I, I don't know. I don't know how the market reacts to 550, but they're not going to get that. I don't think we're going to see any console launch under 500. Uh, and if anyone can get to 500, uh, great. And if someone goes to 400 because they've done like the Lockhart Xbox Series S, um, so be it. But and then my guess is PlayStation 5 will at least the bare minimum 500, but probably 550 is my guess for yeah. PlayStation 5. If for, if what we're hearing is true for the disc version, and then uh, maybe as much as do you think they'd go 100 bucks less for the discless versions? No, I think 50. Uh, based based on based on the um, Xbox all digital version. By the way, all digital cracks me up. It's not like we're sticking vinyl records into these things. It's ones yeah. and zeros on these discs. But yeah, yeah I, my guess is we're gonna we're gonna see something hovering around five hundred. But we're also gonna see an immediate sellout. Like I still think people like to talk and talk about uh, how these prices are gonna kill or not kill. But we've entered an era where more people are buying games than ever. And yeah. we're you know eight years out from the last yeah. console launch. Yeah. So I, I just see. Yeah, the switch has made the switch's sellouts and continued sellouts and continued sellouts are proof that people are still willing to spend hundreds of dollars on systems. And yeah, $300 this, this, for the switch is like not a great value in terms of its power. Yeah, well, I, I also, I mean, the benefit of the pandemic to the video game industry cannot be discounted. You know, like people have uh, really opened their eyes to the, um, you know, the power of this escapism and how meaningful and fun and, and, uh, social it can be yeah. locally and and on the internet and uh yeah you're right more people are kind of clamoring around all of this stuff and so in, in some ways even though the economy is completely devastated all over the world and people are going to be thinking more about their discretionary spending it's a pretty incredible time to say well now let's move forward with this, this technology and uh uh let's show you what what you know the next level of video gaming is going to be so it may turn out to be um a bit of a boon for both Microsoft and Sony, but I think you're right. I think they're going to have a, a smaller shipment to launch with than maybe in previous generations, and they will sell out. And based off of that momentum, they'll move into uh, hopefully what is a, a much healthier 2021 for all of us. Mm -hmm. I mean, and then we're going to see in terms of the financial bottom line, we all forget, you know, Xbox is not the giant moneymaker. Uh, and Sony's an insane company in terms of how they're actually doing as a full larger corporation. Yeah. Um, but I do think the numbers may bear out where Microsoft's subscription-based revenue gives them that sort of leverage to push forward and keep on going. Even if we as like gamers think they're losing, if they're winning in the subscription battle and, and in being supported by Microsoft, you know, that's a whole nother wrinkle to how each side of, the, uh, of this giant gaming battle of Microsoft versus Sony goes. And that's, that's harder to really look at just from, hey, this YouTube stream was really awesome. Like that's a whole different number crunching sort of thing. But that, that conversation I think will come up more and more and more as we get to March, 2021. Now, something else has happened. You mentioned Stadia a little bit before, but uh, Stadia just, they just leaked the Ubisoft game. What the hell happened there? Oh man. Uh, it was uh, yesterday morning as everyone was clamoring, looking for maybe a last minute Sony leak. Turned out <laughs> Stadia leaked something instead. Someone, a, 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 there has been a follow-up report that has placed the blame on someone at Google Stadia. Someone at Stadia hit the wrong button for a production version of a game that used to be called Gods and Monsters. This is an Ubisoft game that was revealed last E3, E3 2019. Yeah. Looks like that, a, little, a little bit like the, a Zelda game. It's got, it's got a Breath of the Wild feel. Um, it was what it already looked like with a character who almost looked like uh, Pitt from Kid Icarus, uh, mm -hmm. built by members of the Assassin's Creed Odyssey team. 
cool. and so this thing shows up and people are just on stadia just looking for games to buy and it shows zero dollars zero cents for a game called orpheus which is a code name you click buy it immediately loads because that's how stadia works <laughs> and it says gods and monsters as a splash screen and it takes you to a prototype build with a bunch of white box dummy assets. Oh there's a god. version there's a version of the god the Greek god Hermes appears and he's just a bunch of white slabs with wow. like a boop 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 like a muppet mouth. Um, Holy crap. and then there's a whole white box room where you're testing out bow and arrow aiming and there's a thing where you can practice climbing and the climbing system is directly ripped off of Breath of the Wild with a circle stamina meter that depletes as you climb. Meaning oh, it's wow. not going to be free climbing like Assassin's Creed. Right. And then as story got out that it was immediately shut down but people captured footage and ubisoft confirmed this was a 2019 prototype the game is no longer called gods and monsters it'll be have a different name and it's still supposedly on track maybe for launch this year but it's supposed to come out on uh, all the consoles well xbox and playstation i don't know about switch and yeah. on stadia but the reason this happened supposedly is well including the google glitch but also um companies are using stadia as the way to deploy builds for their QA and testing teams. Wow. Because you've got all these people needing to grok out games. Like especially these games are still getting right made. now, yes, yeah. And so totally. how do you, as a QA tester, especially if oh you're, you know, God. not making a ton of money, why send everybody the dev kits? Why send everybody the testing hardware when yes. you could just have them click one button and boom, you're leveraging Google Stadia's whole Dude, cloud this service. this could be a huge business for Google now. This could well, be a whole extra way that they are connected and they've been real quiet about it but it was someone from bungie talking about how destiny is using this and that oh, was the wow. only word we'd heard about that but it seems like ubisoft might be doing that for many of their games because if you build it for stadia mm. and it's essentially running in vulcan that's almost the same as the pc build yeah. um so it's a hint of what Google is doing to diversify That's its next stadium. year's judges week right there is what that looks like to me. I've been, I've been saying this for years. We're going to have yeah. game festivals that are hosted in the cloud. Where I already got an invite in. for one of those. I'm sure you did too. Yeah. There's, there's stuff happening right now. Which is, uh, yeah. That people are going to be taking advantage of that. Holy crap. So people were able to capture that and they were able to capture YouTube and show and it. It's, yeah. It was, it, I don't know if, if things have been taken down, but it was over at arstechnica.com. We have a gallery yeah. of samples of just how unfinished it is. Cause they confirmed it's an old build and, and you, we've seen unfinished games. It happens. Sure. That's not indicative yeah. of how the final game will be, but it has a bunch of Assassin's Creed assets. It of uses course. the exact same fonts and menus and even ground textures uh which is kind of if you don't if you're not familiar with how game development looks you might just think it's a lazy ripoff and that does, that's not a good look because the public's perception is going to be like oh assassin's creed clone if because of this so it's a it's a weird thing stadia could use some better news than that so yeah yeah uh, I've been impressed with the, I've only been, had time to review a couple of games on Stadia so far. I've reviewed that Lost Words game, which I thought was terrific. Uh, and that's an exclusive, a year exclusive for Stadia. Uh, but I, I've been very impressed with how easy it is to enter and to play these games. And the one game that I, I uh, always reference is uh, NBA 2K20, which I've had to delete off my PlayStation 4 about 60 times because I keep getting these huge games and I got to pack my hard drive to review the thing. And that's the one that I have to take off. But to be able to pop into NBA 2K20 anytime and just have a quick game is awesome. I'll tell you, Stadia would have been, the sales picture Stadia made it sound like we're going to have the top end cloud services. It's going to be better than the consoles. That hasn't borne out. That's been no. a big problem. That yes. you've got stuff that is sort of a little behind. Your, a high-end computer at your house will be better 
better than Stadia. So that hasn't borne out. But goodness, what if they had made a deal with Activision? Think about how many 20, 30, 40 gig downloads Call of Duty players face on almost a weekly basis as patches. Uh, Imagine if Stadia was able to go, man, wouldn't it be nice if you could just click and immediately play Warzone um, and not have to worry about those patches? And that sales pitch hasn't gone through. And and that's, you know, it's it's a sales pitch problem. And and that's kind of what Take-Two and Rockstar were saying when they talked about Red Dead Redemption and other um, Take-Two and Rockstar games really underperforming on Stadia. Because Honestly, as this, much as this is the chance for Stadia to say, yeah, we like what PlayStation and Xbox have got coming up, but take a look at this. You know, this is their moment to kind of undercut all of this hype with this next gen based on horsepower, because that's all it is, right? It's just horsepower. Yeah. And that's what they've said. They can, they've said 8K. They've they've used the term 8K. Mm show yeah. it you yeah know, like <laughs> there's a whole I, I feel like there's some really well-meaning engineers on stadia that are just frustrated by whoever is ruining it from the top because you look at yeah. stadia and there are impressive things there are things that work there are things that look clear but then there's other examples like the sales pitch of doom was stupid like yeah. going with doom eternal and doom 2016 it's just it doesn't quite match up those are such twitchy games but then there's other stuff that totally works that's great but between the pricing and the access and the the easy headline about the bandwidth that it sucks up if you have a data cap you know we could we could do another hour about the the craziness of stadia not quite hitting but that leak this week of a of a prototype that that's really sad. That's exactly the kind of thing that Stadia shouldn't be doing because that's taking no. away from their ability to build any momentum. Yeah, for sure. Well, put them in the news at least in a, yeah. in a Sony week. Yeah. Um, what, what does Nintendo have to do? Anything? Just, just uh, count right their now, Animal Crossing sh- money? <laughs> Man, you know what? I, I hear that they just, they really got hit hard by how they arrange things as a international company by coronavirus. I right. think that Nintendo as a corporation has always been, Japan runs everything. I think the old 90s quote was, you couldn't wipe your ass after going to the bathroom without Nintendo's permission, Nintendo Japan's permission. Like that's a classic old like quote that, that seems, and so when you add it's, the complications It does not seem like a latency, Nintendo quote by the way, but... It, <laughs> oh, no, from someone who knows Nintendo from the inside. That was, that was from Next Generation Magazine, if we okay. want to go way back. Oh, um, that's awesome. But my point is, like, they really seem to have been caught, like, struggling to, to organize and get everything out. Like, the last thing they had really nicely coordinated was Animal Crossing. And that yeah. came out like a well-oiled machine at the right time, and everyone was like, well, I need a Switch. And I need this game because this is perfect and people are talking about it in this way. And, yep. oh, I don't need to be a gamer to be stuck at home and play this thing. So that worked out great for them. But now it's like, well, why didn't they have anything yet? Why have we not heard about some event or some reveal? Was Paper Mario delayed because of this? Are other things mm. delayed because of this? Why haven't we heard about like that Breath of the Wild semi-sequel that was teased last year? Where's their E3? It's a weird, quiet period. And I think right now they are trying to figure out exactly how to structure and announce stuff. They don't have a Switch 2. They don't have a big next-gen thing. Uh, And right now would be a really good time for them to say, these are the unique Nintendo games that you can expect this Christmas. And they don't think that maybe that comes in a week and we shut up. All they have to do is one really awesome video and we're going to be like, wow, Nintendo won 2020. We We could be saying that next week. Dude, I, I'm not counting them out. They've they've blown me away. Ever since the Switch has launched, they've been pretty damn uh, incredible at keeping a great pace up, you know. Uh, and, but it has been a, oddly eerily quiet since Animal Crossing launched. 
partially, I think, to give Animal Crossing that breath too, you know, like it, it has become a phenomenon that I think just blew them away too. I don't even think that they were prepared for how successful that game was going to be. Uh, but now it's, yeah, it's time to find out what, what they've got up their sleeve. I mean, I'm used to Nintendo having sort of a two-pronged. They've got something cutesy and something, uh, not uh, more teen. Like they'll have yeah. something E for everyone and T for teen. That's, but right now, uh, the, the T for teen, where is it? It's not. We, got, we just have Paper Mario that just got its second tease. That's the, the last big thing was, hey, Paper Mario exists. And today was, hey, Paper Mario still exists. And I'm excited about it, but... <laughs> What about the next Smash Brothers content pack? Has that been disrupted by coronavirus? What about yeah. uh, Metroid rumors, a 2D or 3D one? Is that a thing? Uh, it's weird. How, it's a weird how, lull. How, how screwed up is the business because of coronavirus? Do you think that, I mean, we've been lucky so far that there's been somewhat of a consistent release schedule across the platforms. There's been games to play. Are we going to be getting into this I don't know, months long gap of delays and people just, things just won't be ready because that move to work from home just wasn't uh, something that developers could, could do quickly. I honestly think the answer is about relationships with brick and mortar. I think that is the most, that is one of the most difficult things mm. because everybody has someone in marketing and sales who really right. owns in on that. And that changes a lot because maybe right. a thing gets delayed because, oh, we have an agreement. We worked this out. They are our decades-long partner. We can't screw them over. Uh, or they go, okay, we're completely changing gears and releasing something early, and that might come at a cost. Like, you know, what Sony's launch of Last of Us Part Two uh, with stores still closed, does that mean those stores say, well, we're really not going to take care of you when PS5 rolls around. We're going to focus on Xbox. Like, Dude, we don't, you're so right, man. We don't you're know. So we don't right. know. Yeah, yeah. And, and, then and we don't know if we're about to get into this second wave that the, you know, the news is definitely focusing on. And, and uh, uh, in, the, in the midst of all of this strife and, and uh, needing, you know, uh, uh, p protesting and things that are positive and some changes that are, that are you know, uh, good for our social world out there there is still this coronavirus that is mm -hmm. still running rampant there's no cure there's you know we don't know what is going to happen and right. i guess that's kind of where we're at right like if if this comes on strong and another hundred thousand people in the u.s or god forbid pass away as quickly as this previous hundred thousand have yeah. passed away it's going to be people are going to be completely yeah. freaked out. So, and, and so there's so many pieces of the chain that we could go on and on about. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, uh, projects are still happening and the money is still flowing. Um, but, you know, does that pivot? I mean, are there companies who look at the bottom line and say, well, we're going to invest in other countries. We're going to go to other studios and we're going to be like, okay, we have, we have a company that's incorporated in China because China has its own insane rules. So maybe we focus on whatever they're making in terms of smartphone products or in terms of specific things for older consoles or PCs or what have you. That's a wrinkle. We don't know. There's so many yeah. question marks and there are so many players. Let's not forget there's Riot Games, which has, I don't know, 20 games that they've announced that are going to be trickling out over the next couple of years over PC. 
like there was a, that big thing, I don't know how many months ago, where they're like, we're doing a fighting game and we're doing this kind of game and we're doing Valorant. And, you know, and we also, Activision Blizzard's been quiet. Like we don't have a BlizzCon coming this year. So yeah. when is their stuff going to come out? There are so many pieces of that giant puzzle because there are more people playing games than ever. There are people playing them at home. And then there's the economic reality of, well, people aren't going into an office, which changes well, QA, which changes all these, all these things. Well, and the other thing I think too is people are playing their backlogs like crazy as well. They're not buying new things. They're playing things they already own or they're digging into their closets and playing a lot of classic stuff. Yeah. You know, I had yeah. a lot of people commenting about uh, still playing through the first Last of Us or I'm playing old classic games right now. And I, you know, I just don't want to get into the heaviness of The Last of Us Part Two. Yeah. All, yeah. Of, all of that valid, you know? Like, yeah. But uh, the, the gamer segment is continuing to grow. We are continuing yeah. to say, Everyone is fluent with games. More parents grew up in the Nintendo generation and are creating uh, digital rearings of their children with games. Um, I mean, goodness, there's services like uh, I want Fantasy Grounds and Roll20 that make D&D happen on the internet where you have an actual interface that works because Wizards of the Coast never figured that out. And so wow. other companies have stepped in to do that. Wow. There's all kinds of ways where there's more people who are digitally fluent and want to play digital games and more people serving those. Like it's an incredible time, right? To be quite honest, even though uh, there may be economic and health realities that really blow some of this stuff up, there's still ultimately, we as humans are going to want to play and want to connect and, and come up with ways to do that. Uh, goodness, there's the itch.io um, uh, bundle the of bundle, what, a, thousand, yeah. a thousand games with millions of dollars going to pro Black Lives Matter movements, uh, pro uh, anti-police brutality movements, um, yep. which is amazing. And that's people saying with their dollars, I want really cool independent boundary breaking stuff and I want to support justice for my African-American brothers and sisters or whatever country, uh, as you say. Um, yep. And so it's, wow, there's so many threads. I feel like I am rambling a little bit, but it's an <laughs> no, interesting, no. exciting, and scary time. And we are all, you know, more connected than we've ever been, even though we're not, we're connected apart, you know, which is, which is, uh, it's almost irony, you know, <laughs> like we have so many different ways to communicate. And uh, the trick is to like legitimately communicate. Now, yeah. now, now we actually have to do that communicate part. Um, and people are communicating in person live on the streets in Seattle. And I know you've been, um, you've been going out for your daily walks. I see your Twitter videos and they always cheer me up. Uh, but you've also been, uh, I think, right in the mix on some of these uh, protest marches and, and uh, been right, at, right there with the Black Lives Matter movement, which is awesome. And thank you for doing that. Well, I will say real briefly. Been? Yeah, uh, I, I've been pretty buffered. I'm very careful about uh, COVID-19 and the official King County and Seattle area Black Lives Matter movement has been very clear that if you want to be an ally, you do not necessarily need to be in the streets because yep. the greater thing is, uh, and that's a terrible juggle. And I've had, I have family members who use Facebook to post terrible things. And I say to them, this is a time where uh, two terrible uh disproportionately painful scourges for African-Americans, COVID-19 right. and police brutality are being, that's a decision right. that has to be made. And, uh, and, and they're it, being politicized, which is absolutely insane. You know, yeah. these, th th this is a, a health issue, right. all, all aspects of it. But, it's not a political issue. It's a health issue. 
but I have friends who live near what's now known as the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, which was a, a, a name that was brought up by the people who are there. There had been protests in the streets of Seattle that had converged on a specific police precinct. And night after night, Twitch heroes, I'm calling these people heroes who are on the street, either with cameras in the streets or cameras up at a ceiling while cops are shining flashlights at them on the ceiling in what I would call a threatening manner, while yeah. police forces are shooting rubber bullets and tear gas and non-lethal ammunition night after night was happening. It was awful. And it was in contrast to the messaging being put out by Seattle police and the Seattle mayor. I could go in many directions about that. But what wound up happening was people were just staying in the streets. And they're saying, yeah. we are exercising our right. We are not breaking the law. You are overreacting. And we are going to put our bodies out there for our brothers and sisters and say, we're coming back again and coming back again. And what happened was the Seattle police said, we're leaving. They yeah. boarded up their precinct and left. And they thought this was going to turn into anarchy. They thought that this was going to send a message publicly that, wow, you're going to have all these hippies and weirdos on the streets and they're just going to start looting and setting stuff on fire. And boy, wouldn't it be a shame if police left? And what happened was they all turned it into a hippie shindig, as in yeah. they built up uh, uh, barricades. It's peaceful protesting is what it's they're peaceful doing. Well, they <laughs> yes. set up barricades that, yeah. that made it so cars couldn't get through unless protesters came and moved the barricades and they're letting um, ambulances and other health services through. They're setting up volunteer food tents and first aid tents. Wow. Uh, they're setting up documentary screenings. They're setting up microphones so that any member of the community can get on the mic and speak truth to power. Uh, they're advocating for homeless rights. And I say homeless rights are human rights. There's a long, yep. great story yep. about that. And I'm not going to get into that. But I talk about this on a video game podcast because The Last of Us Part Two posits the idea of a post-apocalyptic Seattle falling apart because of militarized forces colliding. Because yeah. groups of people with guns trying to survive couldn't figure out how to come together in peaceful fashion. And what this protest has shown me and why I agree with some reviews talking about the negative tone of Last of Us Part Two being hard to swallow is because at least in this, I don't know, three or four days of period where protesters have taken over a zone and been peaceful and not broken the law has shown the kind of resilience that when people come together and say, we as a populace unite for each other, we can do something braver, which doesn't necessarily fit into a sneak and kill video game. But it yeah. is a beautiful message that I almost wonder if it could turn into a video game where you find a way for communities to come together in a post-militarized way. To, you're you're talking know. about sim dystopia right there. Yeah, you're like, talking about a, you know, Mad Max, but everybody's not that mad. Right. The, the tanks aren't coming out. There aren't women yeah. having their teats pushed on with, with crazy stuff. It's volunteers and positivity. I'm not saying it's permanent. I'm not saying that police, like God, police showed up yesterday in that zone and just started spraying tear gas or uh, pepper spray, excuse me, uh, for no reason and then left. It was very strange and I don't have great thoughts on that. But it's this interesting thing that's arising where people are uniting in a way they go, wow, Think about that massively multiplayer opportunity to tell a brighter story of how people get through something dystopic. So I, I, it, I, I it, hope that it, conversation comes up more for people. Yeah, and honestly, like we, we are entertained by dystopian nightmares a lot. And I think um, uh, The Last of Us Part Two represents kind of the zenith of that idea, you know, and what the game really kind of um, shows and, and creates... Uh, you know, a narrative platform for is that um, there are pockets of utopia, you know, and pockets of uh, people peacefully living together. But for the most part, everybody is a psycho killer in this crazy world that they've put together. And uh, let's hope to hell we don't 
get that way, you know? Yeah. And I, I think, uh, yeah, we, we are, we are able to see that potential today, you know, in, 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 uh, confrontations that are happening uh, on news screens and it's mm -hmm. just shocking and hopefully some massive radical changes start to happen. Well, I will conclude by saying uh, we've seen a lot of game studios unapologetically reject bullshit all lives matter messaging. I apologize for that curse word, but I'm just going to no, let no that worries. one ride. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and saying, yeah, police brutality is real. Marginalized voices have been marginalized by a system for a long time. And what I hope this means is that what a lot of us have been saying for years, that diversity makes for more interesting games 100%. really comes up. Because God, I look at what's happening and I think, how many really interesting stories about people who have been pushed down for years and who rise up in a way that is aggressive and honest and towards justice? Like, think about that. That's, that's comic book messaging for over 100 years. Yes. And, and getting more game companies on board with that is going to make for more interesting stories that make us see the humanity in everyone. So well, that is what I really hope that these game companies now look at that and go, the next giant E3-ish reveal should have stories that take that incredible rise from brutality and turn it into a story that we can all unite behind. I hope that comes to pass from giant studios and not just indies. 100% man and honestly like the the entertainment that we escape into should reflect a, a somewhat a, a reality that we exist in you know it should look not completely foreign to the streets that we walk down you know and it has it has and the world is shrinking and we are uh, being fed entertainment from global companies and the content should reflect that and, and it should give us lots of interesting and diverse ways into this, uh, to the richness of these stories. And yeah, it and, only will benefit us. And when you are the protagonist, when you become the hero of a story like that, then it can crush the biases that things like Facebook and Twitter might just reinforce. Those yeah. things exist to reinforce negative bias and being able to play in a more diverse game with some cool guns and some true calls to justice could turn people and go, all right, yeah, this kind of stuff is cool. And it's not about being political. It's about taking new brave steps into saying, hey, entertainment should be a little challenging while you're also kicking butt. Yeah, it should be reflective. It should be a part of, uh, uh, it should feel like it's connected to a reality. I mean, it, it, it becomes even more hard to believe if it's all just, you know, white male protagonists. That just doesn't seem like reality anymore I mean, you know I mean, that seems we, more like a fantasy than a reality at, but at we're, we're getting somewhere i mean miles morales <laughs> being a star i think is a yeah. real uh, that's not out of nowhere i think yes. marvel has marvel has been just as on the comic book side beating that drum for some time their films are starting to really finally get there they set the groundwork for the next wave of heroes to yes. be broader and give more interesting stories because we can only yes. do robert downey iron man so many times uh, and Miles Morales is an opportunity to follow the steps of Into the Spider-Verse and, and say, yeah, we're, we're doing this and it's going to be cool. And it's going to be fun. Um, and I do, we, we, next, your next episode, you should probably dig into what the shape of the game is going to be because they're saying maybe it's a side story, even though it's its own discrete thing. But I do really hope that they get that right in terms of having a full narrative Miles Morales experience that tells a really cool, powerful story. So well, I'm I know that. Evan Narciss is working on it. That I, you know, Evan, um, and he wrote an awesome Black Panther story. Um, 
I can't freaking wait. I am so, I love Into the Spider-Verse is right up there with Superman the movie. It was one of my favorite superhero movies of all time. Yeah. I just yeah. love that movie. Uh, I love the character. Uh, you know, I loved what they did with, with uh, Miles and Peter Parker in the, well, that was my favorite Spider-Man game and it was my favorite game of 2018. So I'm just, I'm over the moon that we're getting more. I honestly would like, I said this all the time, I would like monthly installments, you know, even if they're like two hours or three hours, I would just like this story to dive into, into this New York that uh, Insomniac has created for us. But I know that's easier said than done. Sam, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to call it there. This was uh, a fantastic conversation. Like I knew it would be, you're a terrific uh, friend and a terrific guest. And uh, we'll have you back on uh, Vic's basement soon. Okay. Vic, your basement is lovely. I'll come by virtually anytime. I noticed that you have a Spider-Man over your shoulder, just like I have one right there. It's so crazy. We're Spider-Man brothers. That, that's what, I think that's a, one of the DVDs. It came with okay. a, a special edition came with the Spider-Man heads. That fits neatly among all of my other ridiculous uh, toys and figures. I could go into all of it. Uh, they, Clubhouse Games just came out on uh, Switch, and it comes with uh, Hanafuda. And if you look real closely, you can see some rare Nintendo Hanafuda decks. So that's it's been, awesome. It's fun. You know, next episode, we could just spend it all just going through each of our toys and comparing. <laughs> yeah, just doing a tour game. like this. Hey, yes, guys! I bought, I, I bought this spider buggy at the Disney store. I love that. And this, Spiro sent me this awesome Spider-Man robot. I got and my it, little tiny, this is a Micro Machines Jabba the Hutt. When you open it up, it's a whole bunch of tiny Jabba the Hutt pieces. It's great. Oh, my God. We, uh, we've been doing this a long time, and we're never not going to be nerds, which is awesome. Right. <laughs> yes. uh, Victor, you, it's been awesome. Uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. And thank you all for watching. We'll be back soon with new content for you. And until then, you guys know what to do. You play forever. <laughs>